we're, we're in a series called I'm Asking for a Friend because there are questions that we deal with that oftentimes, as a believer, we want to ask the question, but we're nervous about asking the question. So we wanted to spend a few weeks just being honest and, and answering those questions because if you can't get truth in the church, where do you get the truth? And so we're going we're gonna to have chosen to tackle difficult questions from a biblical text with a biblical worldview, okay? So today, the question is, what does the Bible say about gender identity, okay? Some of you just got uptight. Take a breath, okay? Take a breath. But I, wanna, I want us to I understand that this topic is tough for many. We, we're faced with it. We're faced with it on television. We're faced with it uh, in school systems, in the media. We're faced with it. How do we respond as believers? I know for some of you it's personal. I get it. I know the complications that the matter causes. But before we dive in and really break into what the text says about gender identity, I think it's important that we go to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul states this, that we demolish, say this word with me, we demolish, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here's what I want you to know this morning. We demolish arguments, not people. Okay? If you believe the opposite of this, this message is not going to go well for you today. I am not giving you information so you can have an arsenal ammunition to go on an attack mode. That is not why we're having this conversation. We're having this conversation because we live in an upside-down kingdom where we are called to live completely different from the rest of the world. But if you don't know why you need to live, you will fall for every lie that comes your way. But we demolish arguments, not people. Every person is a creation of God. Every person. We are all sinful. Would you agree with me? Everybody sinned this week? Okay, if you didn't, you just did, you lied. We are all sinners. We've all made our mistakes. Okay? Jesus paid for every single one of our sins. And when you can understand and embrace the grace of the Father, then we can see this topic a little bit differently. I think the biggest concern for me in the church today on, on gender identity is empathy. The church has got to have more empathy. If you want to have more empathy, the closer you get to Jesus. And, and by the way, empathy and affirming are two different things. We affirm the love of Jesus, but we have empathy for people who are broken. Why? Because our Savior had empathy for us. When we were lost, He came and found us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'd also just like to lead off with this too. Not only do we demolish the arguments and not people, what is outside of God's design is not outside of God's redemption. So you may be here this morning, and this is a struggle. Just, you may personally be struggling with this. I, I don't want to take this lightly. This is a heavy topic. But I want you to understand, if you have family, friends, coworkers, or you, and this is a struggle, I want you to understand that what is outside of God's design is never outside of God's redemption. He can redeem because He is God. These are our foundational pieces. And if we don't have these foundational pieces, we will quickly lose focus here in the next few moments, and we will make this about us, and we will make this ammunition. I do not want to give you ammunition. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not to destroy the people. Okay? 
We're good? All right. I don't want to lose you. Let me ask you this question. Who remembers the year 2000? Some of you weren't born yet. Okay. Year 2000. I graduated somehow by the grace of God. Graduated high school. Um, there were some interesting things that happened in the year 2000. The biggest boy band ever, NSYNC, was in place. How many of you had an NSYNC CD? Do y'all remember the struggles of making that right hand turn in your car and all of your CDs above your, wind, your, your visor just fall out into the floor? Anybody? Some of you had that happen this morning because I know some of you still rocking the CD player. Britney Spears gave us Oops, I Did It Again. The Pepsi Twist didn't last long. It was disgusting. Um, the state of Florida introduced, introduced us to a new term called the hanging chad. You remember that? Gore Bush running and they couldn't vote and you had to puncture the piece of paper but didn't know whose vote it was because there was a hanging piece of paper and, and the whole world went crazy. Only 41% of the nation in the year 2000 had access to the internet in the home. 41%, right? It was, was going to be the end of the world. The world was going to end. Why? Two K. I remember waiting for the ball to drop in 1999, thinking this is all done. I've worked all the way up to here. It's my senior year, and it's not going to happen because they're going to lose all of my files, and I got to start over from K five again. It was a fear. But there was another thing that happened in the year 2000 that was really unique. Nokia came out with the 3390 phone. I've got a picture of this. Some of you have this in your pockets right now. Y'all remember this thing? I could take this phone and I could throw it across the room and it would bounce off the wall and still work. You could drop it in 16,000 foot of water and get it and it would still work. You could make phone calls. If you wanted to text, well, that wasn't happening because it would take you 45 minutes. And then, then you would have to pay for the text because it was five cent per text. Some of us would be broke today. And... I'm going to have to wait to after 9 o'clock so I get the free minutes so I can call you because I'm limited on those. You, you remember that phone? I mean, you, you, had, you had basic technology on that, but we thought this thing was cutting edge. I remember when I got one because I had the phone clip because I needed everybody to see my Nokia 3390 because you never know when the moment was going to come up and you needed to play Snake on that phone. You know, you remember the Snake game? And this phone was like so cutting edge in the year 2000. Now let me ask, what if we went back to the year 2000? That's a Jonas Brothers song too, by the way. <laughs> Anybody Jonas Brothers fans in here? All right, y'all publicly admit it, two of you. Wow, praying for you guys. Um, let's say we go back to the year 2000 and I knock on your door and I give you a box of these black things right here. A whole box. But you don't know what it is. I don't tell you what it is. I don't give you a manual. I don't give you anything. I just give you a box of these. Now, you've got to figure out, what is this? What is this thing? And so, some of you are like, mm, you know what? This will make a great coaster because it's got the glass, and I can put my cup on here, and if it gets wet, I can wipe it off. So maybe it's a coaster. It's a good paperweight, so if I need to hold down my page right here, it's a, it's a paperweight because some kid on AOL Instant Messenger told me that that's what it was for. Y'all remember that? And, and then, you know, it, 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 we don't know. This is, this is all we think it is. And, and some kids are like, no, man, we could, you could spin it. You can do everything. And, and what you don't realize 
is it's an iPhone 14, right? That this phone, that it's a phone, but you don't know it because you didn't know how to power it on and you didn't know how to charge it and you didn't know what it is because you had zero understanding this was a foreign object to you because you're still over here playing on the Nokia, Nokia, right? And, and you, you don't know what this is. And there's more power in this device right here than there was in the Apollo spaceship that sent a man to the moon. Isn't that crazy? But you don't realize what you have in your hand with, with your phone. In order for us to understand the device, we have to consult with the owner's manual, the creator's manual, of, of what this is, what it does, because this will never make sense until we consult with the manual. For a matter of fact, if you have an iPhone, there's a um, calculator feature. I didn't know this because I read the owner's manual the other day. But if I type, you, anybody use a calculator feature on your phone? This is a life hack. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But I, I meant to type 85, but I type 858. If I'll just swipe that way, the 8 disappears. You're welcome. Oh, <laughs> so when you go home from church today and they're like, what'd you learn? I learned how to delete a number in my iPhone calculator. Listen, we need to consult the creator's handbook on creation. Right? Not on our emotions, not on our opinions, not on the things, that how we feel. But we have to go to the Creator's manual. It would make sense to consult the Creator over His creation. Does that make sense? Is that right? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not far-fetched here. We shouldn't listen to the culture to tell us what we should and should not do. We should listen to the one who created the whole blueprint for all of this and see what God intended. So, to do so... Let's look in Genesis chapter 1, and let's start in verse 27. Now, it would have been really easy today to come and read this one verse, answer the question, and walk off the stage, sing a song, and we'd be home in five minutes. But I think this, this, con this whole conversation deserves more attention. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own, what? In his own image. You and I were created to be image bearers of the Father. So we've, we've, God created man in his image. And he created him in the image of God. And he created them male and female. There are only two categories with God. Male and female. Okay? I want you to notice the, the way that this has been written here. That God created. He created. He created. Who's the creator? Okay, that was an easy one. Right? So we could, we could technically stop right there and be like, we got it. This is, this is what we hold true to. This is our worldview. Okay? If, if you do not agree with that verse, in the context that it's written, we're going to get to drastically different places today. This is my worldview. This is how I filter and see the world, is that God is the creator of all things around us. Everything around us has been created by God. So now look over at Genesis chapter 2. He says this. And I know some people will say, why are you always trying to use the Old Testament to make these arguments? Hold on. I'm going to come to the New Testament. Paul has some things to say too. Genesis 2, he says this. And the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man. So McRib. That was another 2000 saying, you remember the McRib? <laughs> My goodness. That thing was delicious as a high school student and it is straight trash as a 40-year-old man. Anybody agree with me on that one? Heart, burn, central, welcome the Tums. Let's start back. The Lord God made the rib 
And he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at least is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Here are two truths here. Here's truth number one. God's design for our bodies is good. It is good. This is why it's important of where we start our thinking because where we start our thinking will determine where we will end up. If we use Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as a foundation builder, it's going to get us to the destination of of where we need to be thinking through this, this question. It's going to determine our worldview. In the Jewish school, so between the ages of five and six years old, they would begin to indoctrinate this very simple principle on day one of Jewish school. And they they would say, the first thing they would teach is Genesis chapter 1, that God creates all things. So he would say, in the beginning, God created. And the class would say, in the beginning, God created. And then he would say, any questions? And they would like, no, not to that, because that we, we understand that. So God creates all things, including man and including woman. Now, here's something I want to I dig into this for just a bit. In the Hebrew language, this is a lot clearer than the English language. And you would say, how's that? Because we get, well, we should get male and female, right? And that should be very clear. But in the Hebrew, it is a lot clearer picture. The Hebrew language has 8,000 words in it. You're thinking that's a lot. The English language has over 100,000 words. And here in the South, we create a new one about every two days. But in the Hebrew, there are 8,000. So they have to be very creative on how they teach theology with their words. So they like to do a lot of pictures to help people understand, to see the bigger concept of what's being said here. So let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. There are insights in the word. So like with the man, the word man in Hebrew is ish. Say that with me. It is ish. That's man. For female, oh, excuse me, it's ish. No, hold on. Isha. So ish and isha. Got it? Ish, man. Isha. Okay. Woman. The only thing that changes in these words is that from ish, you get an A-H that's added to it. Here's what they want you to see in the language. This is a puzzle piece, okay? We have ish, and we bring the uh over, and now we have isha. It's a coming together of, of, of one, man and woman. It, so it perfectly fits together. So the two pieces go together. When they're separated, you're missing a section, right? And the section that you're missing can only be interconnected if it's connected between the man and the piece of the woman that is missing. The woman is the only one who can complement the man and vice versa. This would explain this next verse here in verse 25. It says this, this is why a man must leave his father and his mother and bonds with his wife. It's the coming together and they become one flesh Both the man and his wife were naked, and yet nobody felt shame. I want you to keep that verse, that part of that verse in your head, because we're going to come back to that here in in just a second. 
What, what he's saying here is a woman is an essential counterpart to a man. Okay? Women, you agree with me? Okay. I don't want to get anything thrown at me, so I'm going to read my notes to this so I don't say anything stupid and it end up in the media. The woman is equal in value and worth. We still on track. Guys, are you listening to me? She is in value equal and worth, but different in function. We have our different roles, right? As, as man and woman. The reason that she was created out of the rib, you notice that she wasn't created out of the head. She wasn't created out of the foot. She was created out of the rib, side by side. Hebrew language. We're equals. Different functions. We're equals, right? And the man is the spiritual leader. But you better sure be leading spiritually the way as Christ loved the church, if you want to be respected, right? And so this is a, this is a nuance in the words, so what he's saying is she's not above and she's not below. She is equal in value, equal in worth, just a different function. We're good so far. Okay? Did you, ever, did you ever know that when you read that one simple little verse? Hebrew language is so important. that They're always wanting to help you see and really understand what the text is trying to say. So at the very start of the Bible, he starts out by defining... Male and female. Isn't that interesting? Thousands of years ago, in the very beginning of time, God knew that we were going to be up against this question, and he provided the answer for it right out of the gate in this text. It's not that hard, but there's something that's happened, and you're asked, why are we even asking this question? Because Genesis chapter 1 and 2, wonderful. Everything was going right. Nobody's sick. There's no spousal arguments happening. Nobody's leaving the toilet seat up and causing a war. Everything is going well. But then chapter 3 comes, and everything breaks down. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you can eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, which I don't know why Eve thought it was okay that there's a talking animal, so we should have this conversation back and forth. If I'm in the woods and an animal begins to talk to me, shoot it. Right? Just saying, he said that the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said. He said it to the woman, and in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will know everything that God knows that you just take a bite, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband. I want you to, to understand this about the text. Uh, Eve gets a lot of bad rap for this, right? Um, where, was, where was Adam? I'm just going to sit back and watch this for a second. Let's see how this plays out, because if she gets in trouble, I'm not going to get in trouble. And he watches this happen, and after she doesn't go into any kind of convulsions, she's like, okay, I'll take a bite of that. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, and then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. That, what happened a couple of verses ago in chapter 2, they didn't even realize that they had no clothes on. There was no shame. Now sin has entered, 
because disobedience has taken place, and now there's shame between the two. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves to try to hide the shame. So there's a series of events that takes place after the fall. The moment that that fruit is eaten, death kicks in, immorality kicks in, depression kicks in, anxiety kicks in, fears kick in, sicknesses kick in. All these things begin to kick in because it is, it is the, the knowledge of good and evil. Because all they knew to this point was what? What was good? It's just like, I don't tell my kids that I don't want you to touch the hot stove because I know if they touch that stove, they're going to love it. It's going to be wonderful when they do that, the experience. Why am I telling them not to touch the hot stove? Because I know the consequences of when you put your hand on that stove, what's going to happen? There's going to be long-term damage to your hand. You're probably going to knock the nerves out. You're going to have new fingerprints. The whole everything's going to be messed up. I'm not trying to get them to not touch the stove because daddy doesn't want the kids to have fun. I don't want them to, want them to touch the stove because I don't want them to experience the pain that's going to come along with that. So God in the garden is telling Eve, honey, I know what the pain on the other side of this is. And I don't want you to know that. Not because I don't want you to have knowledge of things, but I don't want you to experience what's on the other side of this. And she does. And all these events take place, and now because of this, we call it the fall of man, our bodies are deprived. We're not getting what we need. This is why we have deviations in gender and in sexuality. The good news is the, the world is diminishing slowly, but God is going to redeem. Truth number two, God is redeeming his creation. He's redeeming. That's the good news. Okay? Are we, everybody good so far? Nobody wants to get up and walk out? Okay. I have decided in my heart that I would never shy away from the truth of the Bible. I believe in absolute truth. Absolute truth lies right here in the Scripture. But I will not use it to attack people. This is not a platform to attack people that don't act like us. Don't, this, this is the gospel message. I believe the Holy Spirit's powerful enough to change anything that he wants to change. He's the, one in job of, uh, he's the one in charge of life change and salvation. My job is to preach the gospel of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit will do. Everybody good with that? If the church would act like that, it'd be, uh, not this church, uh, y'all good. If the universal church will act like that, we wouldn't have, be having this conversation. There's some repentance that has to happen within the church on this conversation. When we make bold statements and bold opinions, we will never reach people for the gospel. Ever. Let's continue. Let's go back to Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female, the puzzle pieces. The two categories of gender, male and female. The question is, why is gender a big deal? Why are we even having this conversation? Glad you asked the question. Because gender is a picture of the gospel. And any deviation from the male-female, man-woman, husband-wife relationship is anti-gospel. And you would ask, well, where do you get that from? Well, remember Satan hates the gospel. We'll do anything to get our minds off of the gospel. The good news of Jesus dying for our sins, being resurrected so we can have a relationship he hates God. Anytime that you have a deviation in the picture of marriage, because the husband is the picture of God, the wife is the picture of the church, and anytime you have an alteration of the gospel, that warps the message of the gospel. 
So this is a spiritual issue because God ordained marriage. We'll get to that whole conversation later. That's why this is so important to have the conversation because it's anti-gospel. There's a guy named Sam Alberry. He was a man that he had, he said, growing up, he felt same-sex attraction in school, and then he goes to college. He still has that attraction, and he, and he shares this in, a, in an article, but he talks about when he became to know Jesus. When he met Jesus, things began to change for him. He said the Lord changed his heart, but not his desires right away. So he chose to be celibate and live a life of honor of what God did. Even though God had not changed his desires in the moment, he changed his life. But this is what Sam Alberry had to say. He says, our culture says that your psychology is your sexual identity. Here's, here's what he means. How you feel, your emotions, what you think, that's what culture says is your sexual identity. You, you want to be this? That's fine. You want to be this? That's fine. You want to like this? That's fine. So he's saying your psychology, culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to that. Just go with the flow. Anybody gotten in trouble with that before? Going with the flow? Whew. This is being recorded. I was just thinking about a girl I dated in high school. Um, thank God she went with a different flow. Can we make sure that gets cut out? Um, the Bible says... Now, this is Sam. Sam says, the Bible says that your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to that. It's not about going with the flow and doing what I feel. It's about what the Bible says and letting the Bible conform our minds. It reminds me of when Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, right? The ways of the world. But he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think Sam was on to something, that God was, was teaching him something. And how do we know the perfect will of God when our minds are being transformed? Your minds are transformed when we're in the Word of God and accept it as the truth. The world says your gender is your sex sexuality, but the Bible says that your sex is your gender. In other words, there's really not a gender reveal party. But we're not going to call it the other thing because that would be weird and you don't want those people showing up. The good news is you and I are not machines. We're human beings. We're people. Flesh. Blood. And as human beings, we're God's masterpiece. But we, because of Genesis chapter 3, we have been marred because of the fall of man. We've been marred in image and in practice. I don't know if you remember anybody study in school Plato, Aristotle, Greek stuff okay y'all are y'all are always in the, the the class level above where i was um plato i thought they were talking about pluto from disney but it was a different thing but plato believed that salvation the freeing of one's person right the mind plato believed that salvation for the person happened when the soul was free from the prison cell of the body okay um we break that down Christianity teaches that, yes, the flesh is sinful, but like the soul, the flesh, too, will be redeemed. Okay? I'm going I'm to track with me. Even though the flesh is marred by sin, 
Jesus will one day redeem our bodies. And we see this with Jesus' resurrected body. Jesus is crucified, put in a tomb. He doesn't come back as a ghost. He comes back, new body, human form. And if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus when He returns, He will resurrect you in the body that He made you in. So the church in Corinth was influenced by Plato. They're in a Greek culture. It's heavy. And they believed that God saved the soul, but there was no connection with the body. In other words, God saved me, but I can do whatever I want with my body. It is grace gone wild. Do what I want. And Paul's like, and by the way, these were believers in the church that he's writing to. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Food is for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality. It is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and he will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So, so should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Right? He's saying that the body and the soul are connected to one another. When God saves our soul, it doesn't give us a free pass to go do whatever we want to do. They're connected. And, and we've got to understand that we are to honor God with our temple of the Spirit and live in the way that we were designed. Marred, I get it from chapter 3 of Genesis, we all have our vices. Would you agree with me on that? We all have our vices. Because we can, if we can admit that out loud and confess those things, it sure makes it a lot easier to minister to people who don't believe like us, act like us, look like us. Okay? So, honor him with your body. I would say if you're struggling with gender identity or confusion over your gender, you probably think that what I'm saying doesn't offer any kind of help right now for you. You probably feel like I'm just telling you why it's wrong. And I want you to hear from my heart I know this doesn't take away pain and brokenness that people feel when it comes to this issue. I get it. But I want to offer some encouragement to people who are broken and recognize the brokenness. Paul offers this encouragement to every single one of us that are broken. He says in Romans chapter 8, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together, as all of us, groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan with ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. Now, the question you would have to ask is, why are believers in this passage groaning and waiting on the return of Christ? Right? That, that would be an obvious question we would need to ask. Why are the pains that we experience today compared to that of a woman's labor pains? This is an interesting concept. When Jesus dies on the cross for our sin, when he dies, he redeems our souls, but we still live in our broken bodies. And our bodies know that. That this is not right. This is where conviction comes in. That there's going to be a day that my body is going to be reunited and it's going to be redeemed and it's going to be made back whole like it was in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 
But until then, there's this aching and this groaning. So our souls are saved, but bodies are broken. And for some of us, brokenness might be fear, it might be depression, it might be some form of mental illness, it might be overeating, there's brokenness. We all have something. As, as difficult as labor pains are, there's unspeakable joy of worth behind them. Now, I want to say this. I am not standing up here in any way, shape, or form telling you that I fully grasp the weight of labor pains. Okay? Right? Guys, are we with that? You better be shaking your head, yeah. I don't know labor pains. I know it hurts to watch a spouse go through labor pains. Ladies, when you look at your beautiful children, do you think, oh my gosh, you hurt me so bad? Or do you think, man, look at that beautiful child. Love them, want to hug them. Sometimes I want to say things to them, but you don't think about the pain of, of childbirth, right? Through the whole process, you, you, let's just imagine that you're, ladies, you're in the room giving birth, going through labor pains, and a guy walks in and goes, hey, it ain't that bad. What do you do to that guy? <laughs> that guy's gone, right? And if it's a husband, oof. They don't understand the incredible pain that you go through for labor. And as much as you hurt and you go through that, sometimes hours, the moment that that baby is placed in your arms, this is if you had amnesia and you don't remember that pain. You, you tracking with me? Because there's an unspeakable joy in that moment that overrides the pain that you went through. Paul says that we groan. Our bodies ache for what is right. To be reunited with the Father. And these pains that we go through, no matter what your struggle is, when we encounter Jesus face to face, this will all be counted as a loss because the joy unspeakable joy of seeing our Savior face to face. This is what Paul's saying. In the struggle, so those that struggle, especially with gender identity, there's a father waiting on the other end. You need to be faithful to the words of Jesus. We're not going to downplay the struggles. We're not going to downplay what people are, are trying to process. What we're going to try to do is point them to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that can make all things anew and all things right. Labor pains. The joy in the moment gives amnesia over the pains of the past. Joy is coming in the morning for all of us. In Italy, they have a, um, a mural that's been painted called The Last Supper. Um, Last Supper was a really big deal for Jesus. It was the Last Supper that he had with the disciples. And because some of you didn't come on Good Friday, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> love you. But there's this picture of the Last Supper that was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. I almost said DiCaprio. I felt it. I felt it. But it was da Vinci. And anybody seen this photo before? It's saying he spent... 20 years painting this picture. It's 500 years old. And one of the issues, after about 20 years later, this thing started to chip. 
And they thought, well, we got to fix this because it's a mural painted on a wall in a Dominican convent in Italy. So they got a little committee together. It must have been a church committee because it took them 20 years to decide how to fix the problem. So they hired someone to come in that was a world-renowned restorer of art. And they spent months, they studied the artist, the mannerisms of the artist, the strokes of the artist, other paintings, his influences, studied everything that there was to know about da Vinci before they began working on this work of art. Why would they do that? Because you can't alter the original. Like we can't have a 13th disciple painted in here, right? You can't take all the stuff off of the table and put Chick-fil-A bags on here, which was probably still biblical. But you can't change, you couldn't change the, the original design and put it back to its original intention if you didn't know what the intentions of the Creator had in the beginning. And what the restorer did was spent painstaking time just studying every little nuance to restore it to its original intention. See, everything that you and I see around us with our own eyes was created by a divine creator. I'd say it this way. Mark Batterson, author out of Washington, D.C., says this, that you and I were once vocal cords in the mouth of God, spoke us all into existence. And when God finished his divine masterpiece in creating the world, he started with the apex of all things, and that was man and woman made perfect in his image. But marred by sin, the sin affected them and has come down to us. But God decides to redeem creation. And one day the divine designer is going to come back to earth that he created, and he's going to restore his masterpiece back to its original design. And he is going to take the enemy and send him to his place for every crooked thing that he has done. Can I get an amen? Every single argument that you've had with your spouse, that child that has been the prodigal child, the drugs that have entered into your family, the abuse that you have experienced, your friends have experienced, alcohol, everything. Satan's going to pay a price for bringing that in here. And God's going to come and he's going to wipe away every single tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Fear will be no more. Confusion will be no more. The Bible says that all of the old things will pass away and there will be new. There will be new. When you understand this, you get what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 8. He says, I, I consider that the sufferings, the sufferings like sexual identity, same-sex attraction, depression, anxiety, fill in the blank. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us in the future. I would say this, if you're ready to throw in the towel, Jesus would say, hang in there, don't give up. Don't give up. So a lot of people get confused in their identity because they didn't find it grounded in Jesus. And, and I know what you're thinking. I'm a Christian, so they can see me. But see, the thing is, before people can encounter the Jesus in you, they have to encounter you. 
And sometimes the things that we say and sometimes things that we post give off a completely different vibe than what Jesus would give off. Again, I'm not saying Jesus affirms this behavior. And there's some that would argue that with me. But when Jesus, the woman who had had multiple affairs was brought to her, and they were going to stone her. You remember that lady? And Jesus said, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. When they all walked away from her, he didn't look and say, hey, you're good. Go back and live however you want. He said, go and sin no more. He wasn't affirming her, but he definitely had grace and love for her. Empathy. So I believe that I believe the pain that people feel with this, because the more I study it, the more empathy I have for people. Because I realize how far I was from Jesus. I wasn't a drug dealer. I wasn't selling crack. I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't living in these adulterous affairs. I was just lost without Jesus, and, and, and it was no different from everybody else. I was lost and dead in my sin. But for some reason, Jesus reached out and found me where I was and called me Son, there's a grace that was extended. And I wonder if we forget that. I wonder if we forget what he's done. So if you're struggling with identity, the enemy wants you to think that this present time is all that there is. This is all that you get. But friend, listen, there is an eternity on the other side where we get to be with Jesus forever. This is not our home. But in the meantime, while we're here, God gave us a creation mandate to multiply, be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Take care of this place. Make disciples of people. Not the people that you want, not the people that have the same kind of beliefs that you have. There was no caveat to it. It was go and make disciples. The, the Holy Spirit will lead you to who He needs to lead you to. See, so Jesus understands our pain. He understands the pain of the people that are experiencing with this identity. He, he, he did not make a mistake when He created you. Thank Jesus that I don't have to make the decision if I'm a male or a female. God already made that for us. We don't have to carry that weight and let the culture tell us opposite. I believe if Jesus was here physically today in this room, that he would offer us this. Come to me, all who are worn out, all who are confused, all who have questions about your sexuality and your identity, and I will give you rest for your restless heart. I want to give you three takeaways very quickly. It is important that we show empathy for those who are struggling with a sin different than you. let that sit for just a second and simmer because when you've been to the cross you realize we're, we're all broken it's important that we show empathy for those who are struggling with a different sin than you 
Discipleship in the home is essential, not optional. Because if you don't have these conversations with your kids from a biblical perspective, the world will have the conversation without the biblical perspective. Because it's happening. Never in my life did I think that I'd have to look at my little girl and explain this. Because we have drifted so far from the gospel. It's in, the, it's in their faces and the television, in the books in our library. If we do not disciple our children in the home, the world will. It is not optional. They will indoctrinate our kids. And I'm not saying that as if we should go boycott and protest. Nothing good comes from protest or boycotts in the church. Which leads me to the next point, is that let us be a people that extend grace instead of hate. We are not a perfect church. You can agree with that. I'm not offended. Because if we thought we were a perfect church, I need to quit because I've done something wrong. We've all done something wrong. We are an imperfect church. For imperfect people. Too often, people who don't know Jesus and don't know anything bump up against his church. And they'll tell you, I like this Jesus guy, but this church is what I don't like. Because that's where the most hatred comes out. Dream with me just a minute. What if our table was open to anybody for conversations? That we trusted the Holy Spirit's power to guide those conversations at that table? What if? Because we trusted him for our salvation. We can't trust him with this. I want, we're going to sing here in just a second. But I, I, want to, I want to invite you to do something different. Because as I talk about this, and as I was going through this yesterday and just processing and trying to, to really hear from God, I got a sense that we need to open up an altar right here to pray. Because some of you, again, are struggling with this. You have friends who are struggling with this. They don't, they don't know. Some of you are struggling with brokenness so deep down inside from depression, anxiety. The altar is an invitation to come all who are weary and heavy laden to find rest in Jesus. I, I will pray for you. I will pray over you. But I am sick and tired of the enemy having a stronghold and a foot against the church. We break strongholds by the power of Jesus' name. This gender identity is a stronghold. It will not prevail because God is the creator. But we as his mouthpiece must extend grace and truth to a broken world while remembering that we too are broken and are in need of a savior. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up 
and we will stay as long as we need to to pray because I, I want your brokenness to be prayed for. I want you to, to feel the spirit moving because I, I, I sense he's doing something in this room. He's doing something in you. And I don't want to manufacture anything. I, I just, I just want to open up for you to pray and come right here right before the Lord and tell him your heart let people pray for you let's let the spirit do what the spirit can do in this room this morning let him move move past what you're used to move past your traditions move in the spirit when we do that lives are changed And I'd ask this, when we start the music, somebody go first. Because others may be nervous to go because it's empty. Somebody go first. And let's pray for each other. Let's lift this up. This is an issue that is destroying families and hurting, and people don't have answers, and we have to point them towards Jesus. Would you pray, Father? I pray right now for your Holy Spirit to be at work in this room. I know He is. I know there's... There are people that are struggling. There's brokenness, and it may not be with gender identity, God. It may be with other things as brokenness, but your word says to come to find rest. It's going to take courage for us to have to admit some things and confess sin and repent of things. But, Father, you want to do a work in our lives that is so, so deep. I pray for boldness as we pray. May we be reminded of your gospel, of your cross. But God, more importantly, we'll remember the stone that was rolled away from the grave, that we can face the present pain because of the unspeakable joy that we will have in the future. I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus that breaks every single stronghold. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.